Hey everyone, it's producer Jake. If you're hearing this, then you are listening to a free preview of our weekly bonus interview. This is where we feature our series and lots of interesting one-off episodes. If you want to hear the full episode, go to our Substack, AmericanPrestigePod.com, and subscribe, or try our free trial. Thanks. Is there a reason why that becomes a, a priority, or why the the Allies suddenly decide that Taiwan, like returning Taiwan to China, is a a, a priority? Like, had had this been something that Chiang Kai, you know, that the, the Chiang Kai Shek was talking about, or the the KMT were talking about already, or or I, I'm I'm curious. It seems like that came out of the blue, and it's unlike, let's shall we say, Western <laughs> Western powers to just sort of like, you know, hit on these things, uh, kind of without any any uh, prompting, let's say. Yeah, um, Chiang Kai Shek definitely requested it. I mean, he saw that Taiwan was something that was taken away from. The Japanese Empire. I should also make a slight revision. I think last time we we talked in part one about Chiang Kai-shek. Um, you know, there's there's a, re- a slightly more recent historiography. Uh, Jay Taylor's biography in Chiang Kai-shek kind of makes a more sympathetic portrayal of Chiang Kai-shek, where he really sees Chiang as um, not so much not just kind of like a, a real politic kind of politician, but also someone who is genuinely and truly a, a lower lower end case nationalist, lowercase nationalist, someone who really cared about the Chinese nation state. And so I think there, there is kind of a genuine desire from Chiang Kai-shek to kind of reclaim Taiwan for the Chinese nation state. I don't think it was his you know, biggest priority. Obviously, Japan during the Second Sino-Japanese War was all the way, you know, kind of about to topple the Republic of China regime. Yeah, that was um, on top of mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, certainly if there was a conception of an end of war, then, um, and I think the Allies also agreed that you know the Japanese Empire to undo unravel that also meant taking its colonial belongings that were acquired because of you know the, the first the first Sino-Japanese War, undoing that by giving Taiwan back to Republic of China. There's also this thing where some some people today claim that there's this loophole where you know the the Cairo Conference was kind of an agreement between different powers and. When Japan surrendered, it relinquished control over Taiwan, but it didn't state that Taiwan should be returned to the Republic of China. The Republic of China just kind of took it over. So there are some people today who say that there's you know this kind of international legal case for Taiwan's independence. Uh, although, as we all know, kind of power is what matters and not international <laughs> How dare you? International <laughs> law is what governs. No, well, I mean we can talk about the Treaty of Taipei, which I think is interesting. But what what you know give people a sense of what World War II did to Taiwan, how how much the war kind of touched the island, uh, what kind of effect it had, not and both on the island and specifically on on sort of indigenous Taiwanese people. Yeah, World War II didn't really touch Taiwan too much. You know, it was bombed by the Allies, but the bombing was not too bad. It was nothing like obviously what happened in Dresden or, you know, most of Germany. So some of the infrastructure in Taiwan was targeted just because it was contributing to the Japanese war effort. But in terms of like uh, boots in the ground, you know, Taiwan was never invaded. And for the most part, World War II was this kind of international specter. I shouldn't say that. It, it was, it was uh, this larger conflict that was going on that drew Taiwanese away into the Japanese Imperial Army mostly. So mostly young Taiwanese men. Um, and not a whole lot, but there were still... You know, quite a few. 
Um, many of the Taiwanese who served in the Japanese Imperial Army were, were translators. Uh, many of them obviously spoke or at least read Chinese, Mandarin. And some of them were kind of like uh, supporters, uh, sorry, what's the term? You know, like medics, doctors, other kind of backline support. Yeah, like auxiliary uh, yeah, yeah. staff, um, basically. Yeah. And so I think that the largest effect is kind of this within literature and within cultural representation. You know, there are a few well-known kind of colonial novels. Uh, I, I make one of these novels. It's called The Orphan of Asia. I make that a required reading in my Taiwan history course. Um, and the, the protagonist there serves in the Japanese Imperial Army. It's based off of the, the author's um, actual kind of life experience. And for him, it's it's deeply kind of like traumatic when he goes to China because, um, in some ways, he's seen as Chinese because he's from Taiwan. You know, he he speaks and understands the language, and he's lived in Shanghai for a little bit. But at the same time, he's also seen as an enemy because he's a part of the Japanese Imperial Army. And this is kind of like a smaller, I don't know, it's a vignette that represents the larger kind of Taiwanese psyche, which is that they're kind of Chinese. They're kind of not Chinese, and so they're they're really kind of marginalized by all these larger powers, and this is why the title "The Orphan of Asia" is created. So I think I think that World War II is really more about kind of showcasing how Taiwan is a part of larger kind of imperial tugs of war, tug of wars. <laughs> tugs of war. I think it's like tugs of war. Tugs of war. I mean, I guess you could have a tug of many wars, but that would be different. Yeah, but this is tugs of... It's, it, 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 tug, it's definitely tugs of war.